He's always with us. If you have your Bibles, I'm reading from John chapter 1 to start off, and then I'm going to move along and probably lose everyone. In John chapter 1, we are told, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was the life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. And then we're told there was a man that was sent from God whose name was John. The same came to bear witness of the light that all men might believe. And this is where I ask, believe what? What do we believe? I've been blessed that the Lord has used me as an evangelist. I spoke to many people outside of the church and in the world, and there are mixed up beliefs. There are so many different belief systems. But in here, I know we all cling to Jesus is the Son of God. So I know this. But I can push it a bit further. What are we believing on? Are you believing God for your miracles? Have you come here today because it's Sunday? Or have you come because you are expectant that the Lord can do something in your life? So we're told that through John, all men might believe. We're then told that John wasn't the light. He was sent to bear witness of the light. The true light has come into the world. He was in the world and the world was made by him. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right, the power, the authority to become the sons of God, even to those who believe in his name. So now we have a bit more of a clue. We are to believe on him, but we are to believe in his name. The only name we've been given so far is the word of God, the Logos, which was made flesh. And there are two verses here which are so strong. In verse 3 it says, All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. He was in the world, and the world was made by him. We've only got to cast our mind back to Isaiah. And we're told, Thus says the Lord, and that's Yahweh, which we sung our song, Thus says the Lord and your Redeemer, I am the one who formed mankind from the beginning. I created all things. I stretched out the heavens alone, and I spread out the earth by myself. There's only one creator. The word of God is our creator God. This is who we are receiving. And I have more questions. What does it mean to receive him? And how do we receive him? What do we receive him as? This wraps up in what our belief is. What is our belief? Who are we receiving him as? And if we move from there, where I'm reading from now might be a bit complicated. If you go to John chapter 6 and verse 16, you can read some of the story which I'm reading. I've paralleled Matthew, Mark, and John to grab more information. And I'm reading from where the, the 5,000 have just been fed. So there's 5,000 men. We've got then the women and children. That's going to add to about 20,000. There's a huge crowd around Jesus. And he's asking them to leave. 
And we come in with the words, immediately he constrained his disciples. I wish I had more time to speak into the word immediately to explain why Jesus was in such a rush. But time will not allow today. So it says, immediately he constrained his disciples to get into the boat and to go before him to the other side while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent the multitude away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Now when evening come, his disciples went down into the sea, got into the boat, went over to Capernaum, the other side. And it was already dark, and Jesus had not come to them because he was alone on the land. Then a sea arose, um, sorry, the sea arose because of a great wind that was blowing, and he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, when they had rowed about three or four miles, he came to them. He came to them walking on the sea and drawing near the boat, and he would have passed by them. And when he saw them walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost, and they cried out for fear. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they willingly received him into the boat. And the wind ceased, and immediately the boat was the other side of the land where they were going. And they were greatly amazed beyond measure, and they marveled, for they had not understood about the loaves, because their hearts were hardened. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Let's see if we can break this down a bit. I asked a question, are you okay? And knowing that somewhere near the end of the Bible, we get a verse that all the liars are thrown out of the kingdom, you all answered that you were all okay and well. And that's how we answer things. We guard our hearts. And we break our microphones. Um, and often we keep what's inside because it's difficult to share. And I've been speaking to a lot of people and a lot of people in this church. And we have stress. We have depression. We have fear. We have anxiety. We're mourning. We have loss. We have illness. We have sickness. We have pain. We have guilt. We have sin. If someone said, how are you, and you spilled all that out, I don't think they'd ever ask you again. But we do have these things in our life. We are all struggling. And we're all in a storm. We've just had a storm. It's very fitting. A very good friend of mine messaged me last night and said, Wesley, would you pray for me? I'm preaching today. I said, what are you preaching on? He said, the storms of life. I said, so am I. And we're all going through a storm. And I, this is what I want to break this down. It says here, immediately he constrained his disciples to get in the boat. I do not want you to think for a minute, whatever you're going through, that you are alone. The Lord constrained his disciples to get in the boat and go. He knew a storm was coming. He knows everything. He knows your situation. He knows what you're going through. When he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. We know this is where the Lord sits now. He's seated on high, he's on his mountain now, and he prays for you and he intercedes for you. When evening came, 
the disciples went down to the sea and were told it was already dark. Twice we are told it's dark, it's evening, the Lord is on the mountain. Then we're told Jesus hadn't come to them because he was alone on the land. That's twice. He's alone, he's up on the mountain, the disciples are by themselves. he constrained them to go out. The sea arose, a great wind came. And then it says, he saw them straining at rowing. The Lord sees you. And this word straining, elsewhere in the New Testament, is translated tormented, torture. That's what this word translates to. He saw them in their torture. Now, a lot of you might say, I don't want the Lord to just see me. I want him to do something. But seeing you is doing something. He's not ignoring you. He knows exactly what you are going through. But when he watches on, what is he thinking? How does the Lord feel? Do you remember the story where the leper came to Jesus? And he fell on his knees and he begged him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can heal me. And Jesus looked at him as he looks at us. And he looked at him with compassion and he said, I am willing, be healed. Now that word compassion, it goes far beyond our English word. It speaks about the bowels, the organs, the heart. It's a strange Greek word. And it would be the way that we would say, I am gutted for you. My heart is breaking. That's how the Lord felt when he looked at this man with leprosy. But you see, depending on which translation of your Bibles you're reading, you'll find another word where it says that the Lord was indignant. He was angry. And then he healed him. He said, I'm willing. Not for a minute was Jesus angry with the man. That word, when you break it down and look into it, it says that the Lord was angry over the injustice of a situation. The Lord was unhappy with this man with leprosy because of his situation. It's not the way he created. We just learned that he created all things and all things were created by him. This was not his design and this was not his plan. And moved with compassion, he says, I'm willing and he healed this man. This is how the Lord feels about us when he looks on us and he sees us straining. But then we're told at the fourth watch of the night, when they had rowed about three or four miles, we had already said earlier that twice it was evening and it was already dark. For argument's sake, we're going to say about six o'clock. We're told about the fourth watch of the night. That's about three in the morning. They were rowing about nine hours in their storm. They had only done about three or four miles. These are professional sailors. This is not a great distance. But in the fourth watch of the night, I don't know how long you've been going through something. I don't know how much longer you have to go through something. But I know when the Lord moves, miracles happen. And it's interesting, it says three or four miles, because the part of the lake they were crossing from 
on their way to Capernaum was seven miles. They were halfway through their journey and they had strained for a long time. And then this must be almost my favorite verse in the New Testament. It says, he came to them walking on the sea and drawing near the boat and he would have passed by them. Why is that? Why would he have passed them? We need to look back into the Old Testament. We need to go back to Moses. We need to go back to Job to get an understanding. You see, in Job, we read that only the Lord God Almighty stretches out the heavens, which we've determined Jesus already does, and comes walking, treading on the waves of the sea. Jesus comes to them, treading on the sea, and they know only God can do this. And then he would have passed by them. Do you remember when Moses was on Mount Sinai? And he says to the Lord that I wish to see your face. And God says, no one can see my face and live, but I will hide you in the cleft of the rock and I will pass by you. And when I pass by, you will see my glory. Jesus comes to show them who he is. He walks on the water as God. He goes to walk by them to show them his glory. But they didn't understand. They supposed he was a ghost and they cried out for fear. Don't ever lose sight of Jesus. They thought he was a ghost. They took their eyes off Jesus. We are firmly in our storm. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus. We need to see him clearly and visibly. He's not a ghost. He's right in front of us and he's always there for us. And he said to them, it is I. Do not be afraid. And that word, it is I. Ego emi. That's what he said. And he uses those words throughout John. Throughout the Gospel of John. He said to the Pharisees, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. He says, before Abraham was, I am. He said to the soldiers in the garden, when they came to arrest him, he stood up in front of his disciples to protect them. He says, to whom are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am. And they fell backwards at that name. They got back up. John records this twice so we can get the message. And they says, who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am. That is where we get the name in the New Testament of Yahweh. Ego, Amy. But in the Greek, either one of those words would suffice to say, I am. So using them twice, combined together, Jesus is echoing on the water, I am, I am. That same voice that said to Moses, I am that I am. He comes to them, they see his God, they see their God walking on the water, would have passed by them to show him his glory, declares I am. And at that point, they willingly receive him into the boat. And this word receive, when it says back in, the, in John, all of those who received him, 
He gave them the right to be the sons of God. They willingly, at this point, they realized he's God and they received him into the boat. This word, I'm sorry, does not fit in with the sinner's prayer. It's not a nice prayer. You sit down and open your heart and accept Jesus in and I receive you. There's nothing wrong with the sinner's prayer, but you have to say it daily. It's not salvation in a prayer. This word, receive, is to lay hold of something aggressively by accepting what is offered. That's what that word means. They were in their storm. The storm didn't stop. They saw their God and they laid hold of him and received him into their boat. Do you understand? We are the boat. You are the vessels of God. You are the temple of God and the Holy Spirit dwells in you. If the Holy Spirit dwells in you, there is no, do you realize God who stretched out the heavens lives in you. There is no room in your boat for fear, for anxieties, for worries, for illness, for sickness, for guilt, for sin. There isn't any room because God dwells in you. When Solomon built the temple, he said, surely heaven and earth is not big enough for you. Never mind the temple. Your name will dwell there. There's an exchange what happens when God comes into your life. When we receive Jesus, we've already heard today in Jenny's prayer. Come to me all who are heavy laden and I will give you rest. When they got in the boat, the wind ceased. A miracle happened. Immediately, they were the other side. The other three and a half miles just vanished. They were on the other side of the land. There's an exchange when Jesus comes in your life. You lay on him all of your worries, all of your guilt, all of your sickness. Whatever you have, you give it to him. If it's guilt and sin, there was a charge that was led against you. But Jesus clawed it from the devil, nailed it to the cross, and made a public show and a spectacle of all principality and powers. There is no guilt. Your sins are separated as far as the east as is the west. Do you have fears in life? We're told that perfect love drives out fear. Are you anxious? We're told that we have a sound mind. Are you sick? We are told by his stripes you are healed. What are we believing? Who are we believing in? What are we believing in for? You see, when you receive Jesus, you're receiving more than a savior. We need to receive him as a treasure. He's worth more than anything we have. We remember the rich young ruler. He comes to Jesus. And in arrogance, he says, yes, I've kept all of these commandments since I was a child. I've done all of these things. And the Lord looked at him and he loved him. And he said, there's one thing you lack. Go and sell everything you have. This isn't because Jesus wants us to be poor. This man boasted that I have kept all of the commandments. The first commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might, and all your strength, and have no other gods before him. This man didn't even keep the first commandment because the money was his God. So Jesus tests him and says, right, let's look at the first commandment. Let's see how you're doing on that one. 
This man put his money before God. And for some of us, we have great difficulties in life. Our fears, our illness, our worries, our doubt, our sickness, and anything else we're carrying. We must be careful because they can become an idol. We can look to them more and worry about them more, and it takes us away from God, and Jesus becomes a ghost because we are looking elsewhere. And this is what happened to the disciples. It says after this event, they were greatly amazed beyond measure and they marveled for they had not understood about the loaves. Do you remember it says immediately he told them to get in the boat and to go? If we read back a couple of verses, they were picking up the remnants, the fragments, the excess of the loaves, filling them in their baskets. Something happened, and he immediately pushes them into the boat. Whilst they were in that storm, they had the loaves in the boat. They had the proof of the miracle behind them, with them, whilst they were in their storm. What loaves are in your life? What miracles are you carrying? What testimonies do you have that God has done something in your past? Because whatever you're going through today... We believe in the same miracle-making God from yesterday is the same miracle-making God of today and he's the same miracle-making God of your future. And we need to cling to him. And if we're going to give him the glory, we must give him the battles in our lives. We must come to him. We must lay hold of him. And it's aggressively we lay hold of him. Do you remember the verse that Jesus says, since the days of John the Baptist till now, the kingdom of heaven has been suffering violence and the violent take it by force. That's a good thing. That is us. We're the violent. We need to lay hold of the kingdom. We need to lay hold of our savior. And he's more than a savior. He is our treasure. He is our first. Nothing comes before him. We must be expectant that he can radically change our lives. We lay everything we have on him. We worship him. And we adore him. Would you join me in prayer? Jesus, today we give you our hearts afresh. And we thank you that in the storm of our life, you are there. You present yourself to us. You are the Lord God Almighty. And you come into our lives and miracles happen. Hearts are changed. We lay hold of you today, Lord, and we receive and accept you and we believe on your name. We believe who you are, the great God, our Savior, our Lord, our treasure. You are everything to us. Would you move in this place, Lord, and send your spirit afresh? Would you fill us with your spirit today that we will go from this place and we will be different people knowing that we have laid hold of the Lord of heaven. We thank you, Jesus, and we worship you. In your name, Lord.